0: Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, David Lekach, Jason Troy, Ted Miller III, David Wood, Jeff Duden, David Baker, Jeffrey Madoff. So what were some of the things that you guys did that put you ahead or been able to compete with the big guys um, you know, in retail? Because, I mean, obviously... You got to have cash. A lot of times, cash to get good shelf space, or you got to, you know, to get in placement. um, You know, is is some of the hardest, you know, things to do. I guess what were kind of some of your innovative things that you guys did.
1: Well, for us, it wasn't about being in the stores. It's how you're in the stores. Right. Those are two very different things. So if you're at the bottom of the, you know, the sleep aid set on on the shelf, you're going to get very little sell through. And that's what we cared about the sell through not the sell into the retailer but how does it sell through off their shelf sure but we did a lot of things from a point of sale perspective with displays and positioning and what have you and i give a lot of credit my roadmap you know tangentially came from just watching what five hour energy was doing from um in-store and placement perspective and and trying to sort of piggyback off of that you know i modeled it again i took that eight ounce you know version that Vincent gave me and the the product that we launched was actually the two and a half ounce shot sure so all of that was sort of geared around um, you know, trying to win at the point of sale. And the fact that we didn't have to be refrigerated or anything like that helped us uh, from a from a beverage perspective, I guess, or from a CPG perspective. So we, we did, we, you know, th- that was, you know, something that we were always highly focused on. And um, and it, it it proved to help us a lot sort of along the way, is just being hyper-focused and, and understanding what all that entails and means. Um, and I think that the biggest thing is that we came to these retailers with a very unique and creative and outside the box product, right? It wasn't a two. And there's opportunities and challenges that come with a, being a category maker um, mm. or category creator. And and so there's good parts to it, but there's also bad parts to it that it requires a lot of education, both of the buyer of the consumer, um, and a lot of you know brand building and awareness that comes along the way as
0: well. All right, guess how did you position? It, you know from an educational standpoint to the consumer i'm just asking just interest because i know years ago we launched a product called slim mints and got it into all the retailers but we kind of were in that functional category because the mint would help you lose weight but it wasn't really mints, but it was you know was it really weight loss and so it was kind of in this new category so i'm just kind of curious like what you guys did to kind of break through that and then also then get that education to the consumer so we
1: were we were always very hyper resourceful and I always used to say that what we were good at was opening the door and dreamwater itself would do the selling. So you know I'm not not necessarily you know casting any assumptions or, or conclusions on, on your product, but for us, sleep is a universal need. Everyone of us needs it. and while it's a minority, it's a large minority, about a third of the. US adult population has some sort of sleep issue. Over 70 million Americans have some sort of sleep issue. And, and so it's something that is very relatable. It's an entire category, you know, in these major retailers in and of itself. So the category of sleep aids is not new, but what we were bringing to it between being, you know, zero calorie, natural, and in a liquid format in a lightly flavored water had never existed before. So that was innovation within a category and a function that is necessary and needed by everybody, not by some people, because even if you don't have sleep issues you know, we were the number one health and beauty item in uh, LA- LAX with Hudson News. And <laughs> and why? Because whether you have sleep issues or not, that red eye is terrible.
0: Oh, yeah. and, and uh, Right? That's <laughs> what we were talking about before. I was like, and actually, yeah, I grab, grab it out of LAX and grab one of those from Hudson News and hit it right 20, 30 minutes before the plane was taken off.
1: That's the idea. So see our marketing worked, And then <laughs> and then what happens is, is that we were very thoughtful about how we communicated beyond the packaging at the point of sale with our displays, with our boxes. And so we simplified it. And if we were sitting in, when I had my Ward office, you'd, you'd be able to see sort of the progression of what we did from a packaging and design perspective and communication perspective over time. Okay. Um, so it was something yeah. that we were always working on and tweaking and working on and tweaking and so on and so forth to communicate correctly.
0: What's one thing you're thinking, all right, cool, you know, I was hoping Josh could ask me this, but he didn't, that you really wanted to share with the audience?
1: I think that, you know, know, with all the entrepreneurial folks out there listening and all of that, I think that it's important to acknowledge that, um, and I've done a bunch of these podcasts and, and what have you, in different aspects of the story, like any one part of this experience and story, and I'm very open about it because I think that the best way, and it maybe also stems from my EO sort of upbringing over the last decade, that we talk through experience share. So the best that I can do is be open and honest and forthright. And the bottom line is, this shit ain't easy. Period. End of story. And there takes a certain amount of resilience and fortitude and resourcefulness to go from point A to point B to all the way to Z and see it through. And um, you know, to me, it's it's just you know, d- don't forget that. You know, one of my uncles said to me, you know every late night and every trip and sometimes i didn't even know where i was when i would wake up and all of that grind that miserable grind that you're like you're lamenting when you're living it in that moment right my one of my uncles said to me who had just had an exit a year or two before he said this to me uh very successful as he says to me these are the good old days so just keep that in mind when you're going through your grind and and all of that that this is that it's the grind that you're going to miss it's the grind that you're going to look back on fondly it's that terribleness of man, you know, this went wrong and whatever that in the moment feels terrible. But see it through. See it through. Go all the way, you know, to where to wherever it's meant to go. And uh and then look back on it and reflect. And 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 I would say maybe tangentially, look at all of that like a learning experience. Hmm. It's not good. It's not bad. Yeah. Look at it like a learning experience. And and I, you know, I always say like when I'm 60, I'll look back and say if I did things right or wrong. Because in the moment, things that we do right don't turn out so good, and things that we do wrong turn out to be a blessing in disguise.
0: working with a lot of these top companies, everything, you know, obviously, you know, back when Steve Jobs was there and, and Netflix and some of these other ones, I mean, what were some of the things that you were able to extract from, you know, from that working at these different companies?
2: Well, the team is everything, right? I mean, getting smart people that balance you out and getting them to work together and getting them to work tirelessly and purposefully to a common vision, right, and and get people that engaged and engrossed was really the secret. Because it's not just like working smart; it's working hard and having a work ethic. You're gonna put in a lot of time and a lot of hours and whatever sure. you're doing. And to keep people going, uh, and to work on that, you had to find something bigger than yourself and bigger than what the company was doing, and get people to be galvanized around that and that is a pretty hard thing to do. I found that the relationships that people built um, and how they were building them were extremely important um, to have because you had to have people's support, you had to have people's back, you had to have an environment where you had really high standards and accountability, but it also didn't, it, it was an environment in which mistakes were allowed right? Because that is the only way to get better and to create things, right? So, and then I just found that leaders were really good at pivoting quickly, right? They pivoted quickly and didn't look back and and were willing to step into that role. Um, And then I think at some level, all of this is taking chances, right? And I think you have to be around people that step into risk and are willing to go in that direction without a parachute and their ability to recruit and to get people to go along them on that journey is I think a gift right I don't think that many people and I don't I think to some level you can learn that but I do think there are some innate things that can make someone at an extraordinary level you'd probably be great at it I don't think you'd be extraordinary at that part of it so I mean, those are some of the lessons. I mean, there's so many because, you know, they're all nuanced depending right. on a certain situation and what all would occur. Um, and they sometimes still come back to me, right? As things come up, I'm like, you reflect on something like, oh, I, we went through something like this or this sort of happened, right? And then I'd say the other thing, too, is I worked in companies where I just saw like at HP when Mark Hurd was there. I mean, he was a great CEO, but he just stripped the company to make the numbers. Mm. And right, and like I saw that happening around me where the research and everything that they had built was stripped out of the company. But the board of directors just watched it all happen and they didn't really do anything about it, which was surprising. And all these great people got fired, and you know, Mark Hurd's making all these raises and you know, making all these bonuses, and we're on a zero percent, you know, freeze. And you're like, how are you taking home all these massive bonuses while well, everyone in <laughs> our is not getting a bonus? Right. right. Back in like, you know, like it was 09 or something like this that we had it and you're doing it. So I just found like some of that is, you know, like do you, are you talking the talk and walking the walk yourself as a leader in your company? And that could really be for any level.
0: Obviously then, you know, through that experience, you know, there and, you know, seeing the differences working with the teams, what do you see some of the major differences? Cause you said they were, you know, seeing them be able to bring them to a greater purpose to, uh, you know, focus on this. And then that's what drives them, you know, to obviously work harder, work longer and that kind of thing. What do you think separates those guys apart? What are those top things compared to, you know, another company that doesn't have
2: that? I think a lot of it is people build unbreakable trust, right? And I've seen the research of it. And I think you have to start back from the basics of, like, I think people overlook this part of it. They just think trust will come or it takes time. And both of those things are true, but that's the slow way. Okay. And end of the day... Right? If you think about the greatest teams that you know, you've been on or anyone who's listening personally or professionally and you think back to like what you accomplished, how you felt about those people, and about how you felt about what was going forward and what you were able to accomplish, you have to recreate that in every situation that you're in on a team, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your personal life, whether that's professional – in order to have the kind of success that you ultimately want and that you bring the best out in yourself and the best out in everyone else. And that requires you to have uh, trust where you're willing to take leaps of faith, have each other's back, right? Do all the things. And that trust level is extremely high.
0: What was kind of one of your first ventures that you kicked off?
3: Well, I'll tell you, so I'll, I'll give a nugget early, just so, and then I'll speak to the early venture. Sure. For me, hands down, the, the the major game changer for me was the day I listened to my financial advisor. He was a he was just a guy that was running with my family. They did this thing called JC's Junior Chamber of Commerce. And he was the financial advisor for that group. So I, I was thirteen, he'd give me a beer. Nope, don't don't blame him. Now I can't say his last name. Uh but Dan would, you know, that's what you did. Like you're a child growing up in in, in Indiana and you go down to the Indy 500. Hey kid, I trust you. I know you won't be disrespectful here. Do this or do that. So he always treated me older than I was. And I finally, I went out and I was doing construction. I was making more money than my father ever made. And I needed some insights from people. Like, how do I take it to the next level? Because everyone I was kind of following, I was already, already outpacing. Sure. And I, I needed some insights and he goes, You've got to go learn how to sell, otherwise you're never going to be happy financially. If you're already at your young age telling me you're looking for more and you're already in the top 1% of money earners, you need to go learn how to sell or you're never going to be fulfilled. And I took that to heart. I respected this guy so much because he'd been there my whole life. I think it's a big part of entrepreneurs are missing people outside of just a coach or a mentor or a colleague, just people that influence. And he was a good influence. Mm, Right. And uh, he gave me that advice. So my first thing that I felt was really entrepreneurial was not the first entrepreneur gig I had, which was retrofitting light systems. It was really one of those network marketing gigs to go have to learn how to sell. Like it was (laughs) the only place where they're recruiting and I went to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times and I circled all the ads and one said bigger money than anyone was his MLM. I didn't know what MLM meant, right. I didn't understand the acronym. I only understood business. And I sat in a room and I thought I was getting interviewed and 30 other people are in my room with an interview. I was like, I don't understand what this is. They all leave <laughs> screaming to Amway or something. I don't, what are y'all talking about? This sounds <laughs> cool to me, what do you do? So that was my first gig of trying to learn my sales skills was in that environment. So that's how I cut my teeth.
0: No, and that's awesome. I mean, because that's you learn how to sell, and you learn how to connect and communicate with people for sure. With that, I know it's actually funny that you were saying that. I was, I was like, I think I was seven, 16 or seventeen, and got introduced to Amway back then, and and that was like really the only thing major thing I out there. I all. And I didn't know
3: until I was an adult <laughs> that that even existed. I missed it. I mean, I knew I always bought Mary Kay's Formula Number no. Five from my mom on Mother's Day through the fence. <laughs> like I gave her money through the fence. She gave yep. me number five, and that's I spent my big money, you know, my paper route money on mom from my neighbor. But that's sure that's all I ever knew.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Well um, the
3: nugget, I guess that's worth repeating yep. is if you don't learn and to, to some people are say this, uh, that maybe they're in e com and they're like, listen, I'm I I'm not a salesman. That's why I like to sell stuff online. And I go, well And and then I read someone else's book and they said you know I don't know what what Yahoo came to our event that spoke about polarization oh Gary V like don't ever go focus on any weaknesses only double down on your strengths I go oh great so if you think you're not the salesman you never focus on improving it then you'll never understand enough to delegate it to another human being and so I don't invite people to go flow up river and like against themselves, their core identity. I invite them to stretch their skills so they can be strong enough that and when they do delegate it, you can't manage something you don't understand.
0: Mm,
2: very so true. I
3: do ask people to step outside of their comfort zone, step it up, grow, and embrace that, and embrace the suck, because on the other side of that's going to be a breakthrough, and sales has always been a linchpin for cash flow for every endeavor that any company's ever touched in startup stage, assuming most everyone listening to Making Bank is in a startup stage, meaning from zero to a hundred million. You're a small right. business owner. If you've got under 200 employees and you don't a hundred million dollars in revenue, that's called small business. <laughs> yeah, for you sure. Know? And that's where you're out in that path called zero to hundred million.
0: One thing you're like, oh man, I really wanted to talk about this, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it yet.
3: No, I wouldn't want to say anything more other than, because I speak so fast, probably missed the power of education-based marketing when done well. So I tip my hat to the late great Chet Holmes, wrote the ultimate sales machine. You can go get that chapter. We send it for free all the time. When applied in funnel formats, it shrinks your sales cycle. We went from nine to 12 months to two and a half weeks. Once you understand condensing access to someone's wallet in time, you've eliminated a cash flow issue. And then the conversions... Rival belly to belly sales efforts when done through an educational format. Not that the world is sick and tired of superior posturing. I'm smarter than you. If you shut up and just listen to me, this whole world's ran kind of they're rubbed raw from significance. Mm. And you when you do education, your prospects put you in a posturing of superior posturing. Everything else is you beating your chest, talking about how smart and great I am. And if you would just listen to me and that turns so many people off in your sales funnel. It's a, it's a game changing difference. And if there's any tool I can give them from, um, the workshops that sell blueprint, I'm happy to give it. It's how to use the workshops. They can use mine or I can give them the ultimate sales machine. I represent that brand to this day. Uh, Chet has one of those. We'll find a way to get it for free. They sell it every day as a tripwire, but I'll figure it out for your audience. And, uh, happy to help i'm just glad that you do this every day most podcasts go seven sessions and they quit
0: you talk about habits and changing habits and you know i guess there's different kind of mindsets out there's you know some people say it takes 30 days to make a habit some say say it's 66 or 90 i guess kind of what have you found that's worked well for you and your clients
4: well i think it's like how long is a piece of string um <laughs> I, I'm starting to develop a new habit today. Uh, every time I go and pee, I need to do an exercise uh, uh, snack. could be like 20 push-ups or 20 squats or something like that. Like that's a habit I want to get into because it's something will remind me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm peeing, uh, taking a break from work anyway, I might as well do an exercise snack. I figure after seven days, I'm not going to need a lot of willpower to remember. I'm going to put a sign up. Right. Right? The sign's going to be on the toilet that's going to remind me. But seven days is a beginning. Uh, the thing is, my clients tend to run into snags. You know, it's like they, they, they put in the steps, but then email took them away, or their family was distracting them, or they felt like they needed to be available to their staff all the time. We come up with whatever the limiting beliefs are, and we need to, to get around those. Uh, that's why, you know, and we're trying to change a lot. We're trying to get you to have, have, uh, clear goals, clear plan. We're trying to get you to, um, have regular planning time and wake up knowing what's most important. How wonderful is that? You wake up knowing what you're going to do first. For sure. And then we're trying to, uh, tame the mind and train the mind to, eliminate distractions to actually get one really important thing done, that'll take some time. 30 days is a good start. After 90 days, particularly if you have support of some kind, whether it be a program or a coach, uh, you should you should be really solid. Josh, I changed my nutrition. I, I signed up for a program a year and a half ago, and I've had a green smoothie packed with nutrients almost every morning. Since then, it took 12 weeks to become a habit, and now I've got it for life.
0: That's great, yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, last thing, just to kind of throw out there, and I know I've seen you talk about it. You know, why should we be 30% more daring, right? Especially right
4: now. Oh, I, I like that. Well, I know the things I most regret are the things I didn't do. And Mark Twain said, 20 years from now, you will regret much more the things you didn't do than the things you did. And uh, I have a lot of fear in my life. People think, oh, this guy's courageous. I'm jumping off mountains in in, in <laughs> Nepal paragliding and um, I've done things that'll curl, you, curl your hair, you know, even mine at this length. <laughs> but I know I like feeling proud when I've stretched a boundary for myself and I've done something that feels scary and I push back the boundaries. And what was scary 10 years ago is no longer scary. I choose new scary things. Sure. So I don't want anyone on this show to die with regrets. And that's why I encourage courage. Oh, what a great word, encourage. <laughs> I encourage people to look at like, here's one question that, that each of my clients has to answer before we even get on a call. If I was fearless this week, what would I do? And so don't go crazy. You don't have to go firewalking or jumping off cliffs unless that's your thing. You don't have to go and confess to your partner, uh, something that might ruin your your relationship. You don't have to do all those things overnight. You can start with just, what would 30% more daring look like for you and your business? Who would you call? Who would you invite to be a customer or a client? What would you say to that person that annoys you? Like, just, I want to get you thinking in that direction because I where, where I start with clients is focus, but what I really want, my secret agenda, is I want to help you grow into the human you want to be. Mm. And 30% more daring is a great way to, to get there
0: a lot of people talk about like trying to balance stuff and things like that um you know life and work and everything and one of the things i've always talked about is more about integration integrating what you're doing to um your family and everything else maybe kind of give us a little insight there and um you
5: know with that balance is tough i because the last 10 percent of excellence takes 50 percent more effort so how do you yeah. how do you do that in a balanced environment and truly i i tell my children, I said, if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up space. Mm. You know, the, the edge is where all the good stuff happens. It's out there in the margins where risk and reward meet. And you have the opportunity to challenge yourself and uh, work without a net. And and all of the great things happen out on the edge. And and if you're too central and you're too risk averse, then you're going to miss some opportunities. So, there's, so that's the balance, right, is how do you integrate your values and and your lifestyle and still find a way to give that extra 50%. So you can be excellent and you can, you can be, uh, you know, a a leader in the industry. And so for, for me, and it's funny you use the word integration. I haven't used that word before, but you mentioned the coaching that I did. I, I chose that. uh, First of all, I think anytime a leadership opportunity pops up, you should, you should say Yes. The, your your answer should always be yes if there's an opportunity to serve right. or an opportunity to grow. and I know as you get more successful it's it's about saying no and learning how to say no and saying no to more things than you say yes to but uh, for me, coaching was a was a great way to practice leadership mm. on the field and it's so much like business and so much like franchisees. when you step across the line onto that field, you can't recontract. It's, right. You've made, you've made your choice. <laughs> yeah. you've, you've launched this business. It's going to be a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. But you have to be encouraged with the fact that if you continue to give the effort that that you're going to you're going to get where you get to. And it's always going to be harder than you think it is. So mm. so integrating yeah. the coaching to me, also being able to communicate clearly and provide clarity to be able to build a team in four months with maybe a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds by giving them a plan and making it clear and installing everything and then just iterating and repping, putting people in the right seats and properly motivating them and giving a cadence where they're not sprinting all the time so that you can peak at the end. I mean, there's so many similarities to building a business and coaching a team of 12 year olds uh, that for me, that was integration
0: no and i think that's super cool you know and relevant i mean it's you know whether you have an empl- a team of employees you know working with you or like you said 11 and 12 year olds you know you gotta communicate at a certain level so people understand you you have to be able to rally get them excited and and, and do all that and so you know i like how you were able to you know take what you were utilizing there and both sides of it whether it was the business or whether through coaching and actually applying, vice versa, to to grow either option that you were doing there,
5: it was it was powerful and it really set the tone for uh, our life and integrating our our family life and my personal life with the business life.
0: Super cool. Whether you know whether it was through the coaching or through your business, I mean, what are you your top three things that have led you to your success?
5: First of all, I would say grit. Mm, Yeah, The ability to persist, the ability to see it through, the ability to, and I I do it today. I I mean, I'm very active in a a number of businesses and COVID has been uh, exceptionally hard on some of them. And it's been a a bonanza for others. (laughs) And it just depends. It's it's the most uh, bipolar uh, situation, depending on what business you happen to be in when this thing hit. And, but still your feet hit the floor. And every morning you've just got to say, I, I, there's so much, there's more than I can do and I have to get it all done and I have to rank it and and I have to show up. I mean, my goodness, we're in leadership positions. We have to show up the right way. So you have to have grit. The second thing is intellectual humility. And one of the things that I've come to believe is that envy is the enemy of enlightenment. And if you, the more that you know, the more you realize you don't, don't know. Right. And the more that you can be around people who can expand your thinking, shape your perspective, inform your, uh, just inform your thinking, uh, the, the better off you're going to be. So you have to, you, you can't begrudge other people's success because it gets in the way, it gets in the way of being around great people and it comes through and, and people can tell, so uh, intellectual humility, really uh, understanding that the while the answers are probably all out there, they don't all have to come from you and you don't know it all. And then the third one's diplomacy, which I would say is hmm. resolving conflicts in a healthy manner. And some businesses are about angles and leverage, but all relationships are about respect and resolution. And when you're in business relationships and people and you're, you know, it's, it's tough when you're in businesses that you constantly have to go to the contract and, yeah. you know, as opposed to saying, man, what's, what is the best way for us to move forward? How can we leverage the speed of trust and, uh, understanding that everybody involved, uh, has, uh, you know, that we're aligned on our outcomes and that, you know, we're going to be judged by our intent and we don't have to, you know, we don't have to worry about, um, you know, saying something that's a mistake because it's going to be held, uh, you know, punitively against us. So, really, creating uh, relationships in business where uh, you can resolve things in a healthy manner is important. So, those would be my three.
0: What are some of the kind of the biggest things that you've pulled from working with, um, you know, these different companies? And, you know, I guess maybe what are kind of the top three pain points that are pretty similar that you find along the way?
6: Yeah. in. I don't know if this is true in all the other service businesses or the expertise businesses, but one of the big things is that people are accidental entrepreneurs in the sense that they really know how to do something specific, something technical. They have some deep knowledge. What they don't bring to the table is an ability to make smart business decisions about how to wrap that into something that makes money. That makes that that follows the right benchmarks that knows how to market itself. So they're all really good at doing something. They're not as good at wrapping that into a business that's really successful. That's that that's sort of what gives me a lot of business. Right. Another one is, is, is misunderstanding the role of growth for them. So they are allergic to saying no to opportunity that comes to them. So they're constantly trying to find ways to take this opportunity that keeps coming in and turning it into something amazing. And because of that, they tend to grow too quickly. And they wake up one day discovering that they are running a business or they should be running a business that they don't really want to run they want to do the work they don't want to manage people and growth is about deciding whether you're comfortable in letting your role migrate from doing the work to being a mentor and a coach to people and if you can make that that transition successfully then growth makes a lot of sense to you then probably the third one is just how bad people are at being really disciplined at consistently sending out the right message so that they always have more opportunity than they can accept because otherwise they're going to turn bad clients. They're going to try to turn bad clients into good ones and it won't work. And they'll just wake up one day sort of hating their life and and not loving their business itself. The The business can create a life of its own and, become something that you don't even recognize. And you kind of feel like it's taking you along for the ride and it's not yours anymore. And that's what I try to help people think through.
0: What was one of the things that you found out? Like, what is the best way to manage and, you know, treat your clients?
6: I think it's, First of all, deciding whether you're more of a consultant or a coach. Mm. If you're a coach, you need to be very accessible and kind and patient. If you're advisor, if you're an advisor, those kinds of things work against you normally. Okay, you're too accessible. You're so close to the client that it's hard for you to tell them the tough things. Um, you'll feel obligated to to get into a very regular relationship and not sure how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking more with the folks who are more, they're they're dropping behind enemy lines to liberate a, a population. They're not so much the occupying force that's gonna be there forever and ever and ever. And so if that's the kind of approach you're taking, then you wanna think about what it means to be an expert and how to, develop healthy leverage with your clients so they listen to you like payment terms how does that relate how how other people at the firm have access to you just all of those sort of down in the weeds kind of questions
0: cool well awesome what's uh one last thing you're like oh man i was hoping josh was gonna ask this but he didn't that you just kind of want to let everybody know before we wrap up here
6: i think well we're living in a really strange year right um (laughs) but if we if we just assume that we're a little bit back to normal it feels to me like one of the one of the biggest impediments to our continued growth is the success that we've already reached so we're afraid to jeopardize that we're afraid to make changes to explore more we we move instead of being in the creation mode we move into the maintenance mode where we protect what we've created and. I think there's this spirit that real entrepreneurs have that's not afraid to throw it all out again and recreate something new. So hopefully that creates um, s- some new thinking in your listeners as they contemplate what they might like. How much of what they're doing is just accepting and resting on their laurels rather than thinking about doing even bigger and better things and taking more risks as they move forward. Awesome.
0: You- interviewed like 50, I don't know, 50 plus experts in different areas and things like that. I know some of the people I've interviewed on here, friends of ours, Dave Asprey, who actually sits on our board of one of the companies that my wife and I own. And oh, really, uh, yeah, Damon John and a few other people in there I know really well. So Dan Sullivan and stuff. So kind of give us maybe what are some of the top insights that you learned from them, you know, through through uh, putting this book together?
7: I think that, that what's interesting is you know I, I've been, often been asked so is there some kind of common thread, yeah. you know, but you know with that all these entrepreneurial people share, and you're an entrepreneur, sure, you know. So and I've also been asked the question, you know, is is there a failure that you've had that sets you up for success? And to me, success and failure are somewhat. Misnomers. The main thing to me that I have learned from all of these people is that the key to being uh, accomplishing your task, whatever that is, is perseverance. Mm. You know, if you are an entrepreneur, you are going to face obstacles. Sure. There's absolutely no question about it that you are going to face some really difficult obstacles. And the question is, do those obstacles overcome you and overwhelm you, or are you able to overcome the obstacles? So I think that uh, that thread of perseverance, realizing it's not easy. you know it's easy to start a business, sure, but it's harder to build it and even harder to sustain it right. It, and So that's really been the thing. You know, I think having a certain fundamental knowledge of business is important. Best practices are important, all those kinds of things. But when it comes down to the real grit of making it in business, it's perseverance because it's you're going to hit some really difficult obstacles.
0: And I don't know, maybe the question came up in it or, or just you personally, I mean, how do you know, you stay motivated through that and, you know, and push through that?
7: Yeah, that's another great question because there are times that it really gets hard. Right. And oh yeah. And the main thing is you have to remember why did you start doing this in the first place? You know, and are those reasons reasons that sustain you emotionally? So in the fashion business, I made the decision after selling my second company. I didn't want to stay in it. You know, it just wasn't a business that had the kind of allure. And I kind of happened into it by accident. Sure. Uh, So, you know, I had to really think before I started again, because I had a good reputation because my clothes sold, but I didn't want to do that, you know, and I was, it was serendipity. I happened to meet some people who were starting a film company and got involved with a movie they were going to be making. And I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. And I used to mess around making home movies when I was a little kid. I had a movie theater in the basement of my home that I would draw posters and print them up and put them around the neighborhood. <laughs> so every Saturday morning, there'd be like 12 to 15, 18 kids who would uh, come to the movie in the basement. And I'd create soundtracks for it from my sister's stereo because the movies were all silent. Right. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and I realized the kind of play that I loved doing when I was a kid I could actually make a career out of this. I realized that when I became exposed to how film is put together. And I thought, you know, as I get older, I'll just get better. Right. And so, uh, you know, in some businesses, as you get older, it becomes much more of a problem.
0: Mm. And,
7: you know, as a writer and as uh, a director, I have the, opportunity to just continue to get better if I keep learning. And so I, I love that. And that's what ultimately seduced me. And what motivated me and kept me going through really difficult times is that I love doing what I'm doing. Right. So, you know, and, so, and not always, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just really hard. And, you know, and, it, and that takes a toll when you have those sleepless nights when you're wondering how you're going to meet payroll, Mm. Uh, you know, when you've got these challenges ahead of you that, you know, like so many people are facing now with COVID. Sure. You know, it's tough. And, you know, there still are opportunities. You know, if you were doing home delivery of food, you're doing really well. Right. Streaming services are doing really well. Online retail can be doing quite well. So, you know, there's always opportunity out there and you have to have your antenna up and tune into those opportunities. But the main thing that keeps you going through very difficult times is that the reason why you're doing it remains true. Mm. And that helps you keep at it because you know that at some point you're going to come out on the other side of it.
0: I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. (laughs)